covering sports in the Midwest. It's the Midwest Sports Network, MWSN.net. Live from southwestern Ohio, it's the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast live. It's also episode 177 for those that couldn't listen in live, but thanks for joining us. This is Lee W. Mowen, and also Brian Reese is on the line. Brian, how are you this evening? I'm doing good, Lee. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? I'm all right. I'm happy to talk local sports. It's great to have you on. Of course, for those that have followed the podcast for a while, Brian Reese was one of the first few guests I had on this podcast then known as the gem on the queen's crown uh, episode seven i think with doug brown brian's audio was fine but doug's uh <laughs> yeah i had to do a lot of editing afterwards but uh yeah it's all right it turned out okay yeah, as we were saying before the broadcast a lot of daisy chaining such with stuff so that's always fun you know if someone makes software that's just like for one thing and they don't have to worry about anything like that they make a bundle of money well, the software engineer in me is kind of jealous now. I mean, hey, it's never too late to start someone up. You know, you'd have a customer in me. But today we are talking about Dayton's sport crisis. This is continuing on from my episode, Sports This Paradise, and Brian's articles on GemCitySports.com about Dayton's sports crisis. I like that name better instead of Sportsters Paradise. So there you go. That's why we're using that. But basically, I'm sorry. One's the problem, the other's the solution. Pretty much. Basically, we're talking about why the sports scene in Dayton, Ohio, has dwindled down. Now, of course, the University of Dayton Flyers—it's as strong as ever for men's basketball. We're not talking about that. We're talking overall sports scene. I mean, outside college hoops. We're talking when Dayton was, you know, home to pretty much everything minor league. That could exist. I mean, there was hockey here, great hockey history. I mean, soccer was here professionally. We had a basketball team. We had a couple basketball teams, actually, and we still do, I believe. But with this coronavirus, who's to say? In fact, I think I saw, what, half of the businesses around the Dayton area could stay closed thanks to this quarantine? I didn't see an exact number, but that it was a substantial number, and that's very, very unfortunate. Yes, it is, because you and I are both Daytonians, and we love our city, and we want to see the best out of it, and, you know, sports are a big part, and actually, that's how Brian and I met during the Dayton Air Striker oh, yes. days. That was uh, my first winner outside Wright State, and that was right after my uh, hockey team, Troy Bruins, uh, folded up shop right, uh, was that before New Year's? Yeah, it had to have been. So yeah, yeah that I think so. That that's how we met. Uh, I was an intern that eventually helped out on stats, and I think you were the main statistician for that. Yeah, well, we were both sort of co-statisticians. You called the um, stats, I inputted them into the um, computer program, which I still had on my laptop until it crashed uh, about a couple of years ago. Hmm. And uh, the PA announcer always got mad at me just because I was trying to make sure you heard me and everything was loud and. Yeah, that was uh, those were fun times, but uh, we remain friends, and we talk uh, about sports every so often. And, you know, with Brian's articles and his experience trying to get an Australian rules football team into Dayton and being part of Cincinnati's. In quotes. Well, yeah, but, 
you know, Brian's got a lot of experience, so he's the perfect gentleman to accompany me on this live stream. We also have an audio clip from Lincoln Schreiber. He couldn't be on the live stream this evening. He is a broadcaster for WSWO, and he sent in an MP3, and we'll play it along during this live stream. And again, if you can't stay for the whole thing, or you can't, you know, really listen to the whole thing, or you want to listen to it again, it will be episode 177 on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. And before we continue on, big news, you can now find this podcast on SindayPod.com, and I'm very excited about it. Now I'm managing two websites. Ooh. But, uh, yeah, that's where you go now. No more going to my press kit on my old website. Uh, just go to SindayPod.com. That's where all the podcast goodness happens. It's a little bare bones right now. But, uh, you know, work in progress. I'll, I'll get it to where I want it eventually once I learn WordPress. It says what we say in the um, software business, minimum viable product. Exactly. Uh, but, Brian, uh, let's begin talking about it. Uh, let's do a little preview on you. Uh, how did you get into sports? Oh, goodness, where do I start? Um, I've always been a sp- local sports fan. I'm just following just any kind of team that's been around in the Dayton area, but as far as real local sports go, I went to my first um, University of Dayton basketball game when I was about six years old. That's when I was informed that my parents are actually both um, UD alumnus, so that's how that connection came about, and went to various games um, over the over the years. My parents eventually got season tickets, and then I did. And I'm just... And, oh my goodness, and I think the first non-Dayton Flyer basketball game I went to, not basketball, but of anything that's not UD-related was, um, I think, Dayton Bombers hockey when they moved to the uh, Nutter Center in the um, mid-90s, I think, as my phone goes off in the background. <laughs> but um, I really didn't get you know deep into the minor league scene in sports until, Dayton sports until I think it was 2005. That was the year that the, um, what was it called, the Dayton Warbirds, the yeah. first... Um, Indoor hockey, not indoor hockey, <laughs> indoor football team in Dayton in quite a time since the uh, Skyhawks, I believe. And I was a part of the fan group there, and that was kind of that year was kind of the basis for that first um, bit that I wrote for Gem City Sports about um, last year, where it was that year where there was pretty much any kind of team you wanted you could find. It was again Dayton Warbirds indoor f- football, the um, Bombers were still around at that time. There was a basketball team that only lasted one season called the Dayton Jets, which played most of their season at Hera and their last two games at the at Colonel White High School, which no longer exists. It's crazy to think that Colonel White is no longer a, a thing in terms of high school. It's, it was replaced with Thurgood Marshall, I believe. And actually, I remember my senior year, maybe the year after that. That was the last year of Colonel White before they turned over to Thurgood Marshall. Valley View actually played mm-hmm. them in football. So, yeah, it was uh, it was different to see Colonel White fold. But, yeah, I mean, going back to the Dayton sports thing, there was just about anything you could want here in town. Uh, exactly. Because going back to the next year, that was when, in 06, that's when the Miami Valley Silverbacks came to um – Hobart Arena in Troy. A lot of the early stuff for me was um, indoor football. That was kind of my flavor of the week, if you will, or flavor of the decade, for lack of a better term. But 
during that time, I also had season tickets to the Bombers for the last four seasons, and had, I think I got a season ticket for the um, Dayton Gems 2.0 for their last season. But I didn't really get into the sort of business if end, if you will, of sports until 2007, when I was the um, for a few years the webmaster for the uh, Miami Valley Silverbacks. Which was a very, very interesting job. And it's it was for for a young kid that was um maybe a few years out of college, it was interesting to be sort of be on the other side of sports, if you will. Not just a fan, but to see things from the just again from the other side for lack of a better phrase. Absolutely. I if you think about it, just did the Silverbacks kind of coexist with Dayton's team at the Nutter Center, or am I off by a year or so? And for a brief period in 2006, there was a different team called the Dayton Bulldogs. Yeah, that's and right. And they only lasted about half a season in um, at Nutter. I think they only played maybe one, two, maybe three games before Nutter basically kicked them out. If I remember right, uh, the college radio station at Wright State covered those uh, Bulldogs games. You know, I was really hoping that the, uh, what was it, the Dayton Wolfpack a couple years back that yeah, we're going to... Yeah, I was really hoping that they were going to stick around. And, you know, once they announced another center, I was like, wow, I actually get to see what, you know, indoor football looks like at the Nutter Center. But it never came to pass. So Yeah, well, the skeptic in me thought that when they announced that the Nut- announced the Nutter Center, I was very, very skeptical because you and I both know rent at the Nutter Center is not cheap. Mm-mm. Big venue. I mean... The Nutter Center itself, it's uh, about four floors of walkable space, not counting all the catwalks and everything from above, but uh, pretty nice venue. It's got its nice page of history in Dayton sports. I mean, that's where Dayton Dynamo 1.0 played for a little bit after bouncing from Hare Arena, I believe. You know, of course, most notably for Wright State University basketball and Bombers hockey around 1996 and afterwards. You know, it's always a fun topic to talk about Bombers, if they should have stayed at Hera, and, you know, what if, you know, they yeah. waited for downtown rink or something like that. That's that's kind of a weird question. I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty. I mean, I don't, I apologize if I'm insulting anybody from travel, but look, I mean, look what's happened, but look what's happened to Hera Arena right now. I mean, if the bombers if the bombers were still around, who knows that they would even have a place to play in 2016 or whatnot? When when they closed, I don't know. I mean, we'll never know just because of the fact that's how history wound up. I still would like to know what would happen if the bombers built that practice rink where the Mills Morgan Pavilion is now. If that would have helped local high school hockey or not, we'll just never know. But again, mentioning the. Um potential arena in downtown that's really one of the things that I mean I, I can't think of a better phrase to say that's really one thing that would really help Dayton sports out a lot having a good quality um, indoor facility in the downtown area and if you look through history that's been kind of the big question of what if they actually built that downtown arena I mean when the Dayton Gems 1.0 were successful in the 70s, you know, that's when the offer was, hey, we'll build this downtown arena and have an AHL team come in to downtown Dayton. And it looked like it was going to pass, and then it just kind of fell out because the Gems didn't want to give up their, 
I don't want to say their share, but the whole plan. Yeah, their territory. That's probably a better way to put it. I mean, the whole deal was, you know, the gems would fold, and then here comes this new hockey organization to run through downtown Dayton. I mean, this was back in the 70s when, you know, Dragons wasn't even a thought in people's minds, and, you know, hockey was, you know, celebrating some good successes with the gems winning back-to-back turners. Exactly there, but also remember at the same time... um I mean, I wasn't around at that time, but I like to think that Trotwood at that time was a um, pretty bustling suburb at that time. With, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, with Salem Mall was there. I can't, but I don't even know what can't remember what time period that was. I vaguely remember going to that place once or twice during my childhood when my parents had some business up there. Yeah, for me, I can remember the Salem Mall when I was a kid, and you know, I'd be with my mom and my grandma, and we, you know, stroll through Lazarus, and. You know, once the Fairfield Commons was built up on the other side of 675, I mean, you know, that's when Salem Mall started to go downhill. And, you know, I I, I feel for the city of Trotwood because it's, you know, it's hardworking folks and, you know, they, they rally around the Rams. And it's going to be, uh, I, I think the Rams are one of the few teams around here, few schools, excuse me, around here that said no fall sports. But after today's news, which, by the way, Looks like we will have fall high school sports after all. And, uh, Brian, I think you must be excited. I'm pretty excited. We have fall sports. It's going to be something... It's going to be nice. It's going to be interesting. But I'm more interested in the um, execution of it um, overall. I think I saw something where they're not requiring testing at all through that. That's going to be interesting. And to tell you the truth, that's the bit that kind of scares me the most. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how this fall season's supposed to turn out, but at least we have uh, sports back in the fray. So you know, it'll be nice to get back behind the microphone and call a few games here or there. But anyway, back to Dayton sports history. I mean, there's a there's a great history here in Dayton, Ohio, and I, I feel like you know, along with the great musical history in Dayton and just what all Dayton, Ohio has brought to the states and the world, you know, people forget about it. And when you say someone should put a team in Dayton, Ohio, they just laugh at you. It's like, Dayton? There's nothing to do there. (sighs) Oh, my goodness. If they say there's something to do in Dayton, they just aren't looking hard enough. Exactly. I mean, Grant... I'm sorry, go ahead. It's kind of like that with any um, smaller, uh, mid-sized city. I mean, no, we're not a New York City or a Chicago or a Los Angeles or a Dallas or any other major city like that. It's not like something where there's stuff everywhere. You you can't even look, you can't see something. But um, there's some good stuff to do in Dayton. Yeah, there is. And there's, you know, you've got to make your own opportunities if you don't see anything. You know, it's it, it is what you make of it. I mean, there's opportunities here in Dayton, and that's kind of why I started this podcast, just because, you know, it's an opportunity. I I thought that there wasn't a lot of outlets talking Dayton sports, not just, you know, high school football, which, yes, that's big, and there's, you know, fantastic communities uh, just surrounding those schools. But, you know, I just thought that most of the Dayton sports were not being talked about, and there was one topic saying... If the Dragons win, does it really matter? I was like, mm, you know, sport, you know, sports, you know, winning doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, who cares about winning? Kind of weird you shouldn't mention that. Just 
the thing is, the thing is with the Dayton Dragons, I'd like to think from the Reds' perspective, their purpose is not necessarily to win games. It's more to breed talent to get them up to the next level. So, I mean, their I mean their motivation is necessarily to win, just to get some guys some reps, get sometimes some at bats or some plate appearances, plate appearances or some a little bit of pitching and whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Dragons, you know, they they look at, you know, the whole experience coming to a game and keeping it cheap, whereas, you know, if you go to a Reds game, sure, you're catching the Major League team, but then you're also paying Major League prices for parking, concessions, you know, what if you want some merchandise and drinks oh, and stuff oh, like that? Even if you even if you just bought a regular ticket, I mean, yeah, you do, you'd have to park somewhere or spend a boatload of money to... Go by go by some other means, and major league tickets for anything are not cheap. I dare say you're looking at maybe a hundred bucks just for even if you want just two or three people. I think uh, the last time Leslie and I went to a Reds game, it, it cost us twenty bucks for two brats and maybe two drinks. I'm not sure, but uh, altogether, yeah. I, I think I, I don't know. I, I, I Leslie was I mean, the one to buy the brats. I mean, I've, I've in the last year. The last time I saw any kind of major league prices was when I went into um, New York, New Jersey um, last year for WrestleMania. I went going to the um, Barclays Center, and those, the food there, not only was it expensive, but what was bizarre to me it was two things. One, they had um, no cash; it was just um, credit only, hmm. card only. And second, that was one of those places that had those um, cardboard disposable drinking straws. Oh, which was, which initially, since I wasn't used to it, was kind of bizarre, but. I mean, I could sort of see the reason behind it, just to create less uh, waste. Yeah, I get that, but those straws aren't too great. But, I mean, if we go back, I mean, there's opportunities here in Dayton, Ohio. And, uh, Brian, you and I agree on this fact that sports can do well here. Absolutely, sports can do well here, and they have done well here before. Like you mentioned, the history with the um, Dayton Gems, and, of course, currently with the Dayton Dragons, but... They both both of them have their reasons for why they're succeeding, and there's plenty of reasons that you and I are both aware of why other teams have not been as successful. Absolutely. So let's begin the discussion. Brian, if you were in charge of getting a sports team into Dayton and and just you're overall in charge of everything, what's your first step? Oh my goodness. That's uh that's really a tough one, but um going I had to go back to what I wrote in my first article but, but um going back to some of the failures, um what those what I think those teams that kinda of failed to do is they try to think of it as sports first and business second. Mm. What you really gotta do is if, so if if I was in charge of everything and money and roast resources were not an issue, I'd get the business sense sorted out first. Get I mean obviously get our brand name and get publicity out there, just let everybody know that we exist and just have all my ducks in a row. That's pretty smart. I mean, if people don't know who you are, then how are you going to get those people in, in the first place? Absolutely. Just get just get set up a solid foundation, just hire the right people for maybe at least just the first couple of months just to get ourselves off the ground, get in touch with all the local media, let them know, hey, we're starting things up, we're getting ready. And just constantly, constantly stay in the uh, media's eye, stay in the media's attention, let or in the people's attention as well, while we build everything up. 
Now, before we continue, I just want to say I I don't blame the media at all on this just because of the fact that, you know, WHIO-TV, they just have Mike Hartsock. We're back when, you know, we were kids. Hartsock had an, a crew of other sports anchors along with him, sports reporters along with him. Uh, WDTN, they have Jack Pohl and Hutch Connerman. They do great jobs, but... It's it's difficult to cover all that at once. So, again, we're not bashing the media on this, and those three gentlemen were previous guests on this podcast. I just want to make sure no one has the wise idea of, oh, you're just bashing the media, you can't get into the media, you know, because you sound it's like not, that. And at, at the same time, it's not necessarily the media's fault. I mean, I'll say this. How can the media pay attention to you if you don't tell them who you are or let them know you exist? That's yeah. one really thing that's kind of irritated me about um, at least half the teams that have come and gone over the last several years is that they make very little effort to reach out to not even just the media, but to the public in general. It's like they ex- just start up a team and then expect people to show up. I mean, the phrase, if you build it, they will come, comes to mind. And honestly, in the world of sports, that's one of my least favorite phrases because it just implies that all you have to do is exist and people will come and that's not the case by building it you don't just build it up and then oh, I'm done it's more you have to keep building it you're never done building it and that's a very very good point so building it I think people get the idea that building it just means again like I said the sports and just building up to the point of existence whereas building it implies all facets of the sport, of all facets of the business. Absolutely. I mean, again, it, it never stops. Sports never stop. I mean, yeah, the coronavirus did throw a wrench, but look how quick we got some of the stuff back, like golf and racing and NASCAR and Major League Baseball, uh, Major League Soccer, and you know, NFL's planning for it. NBA, they're down in Orlando with the playoffs and the bubble system for not only the NBA but the NHL. No positive tests. So, you know, sports, you know, you can knock them down, but they, you, they don't, you know, stay down. They get back up. Absolutely. It just requires a little bit, I don't want to say a little bit of creativity, but just requires just doing things smartly. And you mentioned the bubble system. I'm a personally a good fan of the, a big fan of the um, bubble system. It controls almost all the variables and just puts everything that an athlete might need there. NH, I think the NHL and the NBA have done things very well. And to point it out there, the NBA sort of predecessor, if you will, the um, TBT were kind of the first ones to do the um, bubble system in um, the U.S. with the local Red Scare team making it all the way to the semifinals, but I'm just going off on a tangent there. Two straight years, two good runs by the Red Scare as well. And two straight years losing to the eventual champions. Hey, I mean, you know, it's better than being upset in the first round. Cough, Ohio State. Cough. Carmen's crew. Carmen's crew. Sorry, there was something in my throat. Um, <laughs> back to the topic. I think you and I can agree one of the big issues that might hit someone in the face that want to start up a team would be lack of venue. Oh yes, venue is an absolute big issue because again, you think you think of venues. I went over it in my first article, but I'll just try to gloss over it quickly. When you think of venues in Dayton, there's a handful that come to mind. But as you've mentioned in a previous tweet, the sort of the dragons effect is kind of I don't want to say ruined it for everybody, but it's ruined it for everybody. I mean. Fifth Third Field, or Day Air Field as it's called now, it's a great facility. We've been there multiple times. It's a first-class venue all around. 
And then, of course, you've got the only other venue in its league is the University of Dayton Arena, which finished a $70 million renovation and just looks absolutely gorgeous. That renovation took three years. Can you believe that? It's, I mean, they done such a great job that not only did they make it look new and give it, you know, the upkeep that it needs to succeed in this uh, lifetime, but you really feel like they left history alone, and it's just, it's still there. They updated what they needed to and left alone what they didn't. I was sad they had to get rid of the... uh, uh, the tartan floor, though, just because that, that is a big part of UD history, too. It is a part of UD history, but it was an even bigger shame when, sort of a bigger shame when folks asked, like, can I get at least get a chunk of the tartan floor as a keepsake? And they said, no, it's an environmental hazard, which I can totally understand that as well. It's like the but, asbestos, but you walk on it. <laughs> yeah, that's there's nothing wrong with that at all. I, I really didn't realize that the tartan floor was environmentally bad but you know that that's you know i'm not a science guy but hey stretch the imagination you know that's science and you don't know what you don't know until you know it but um but anyway back to the um venues that are in town Mm -hmm. the only other high quality venue which we talked about before is the nutter center yep and it's got its own share of problems i think it was on facebook it was on jt who um was it JT Zabo who um, had yeah. been, who's been well involved with hockey mm-hmm. locally and in Troy for many years? He's now Basically the. He said it. He he outlined briefly that there were some issues between the Bombers and um, the Nutter Center, and I don't know how I don't know how or why, but that just blows my mind. It does to me, and you know I I like to think I'm well ingrained into the sports seen in Dayton and Cincinnati, but I, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors just because I'm not part of, you know, that talk. So uh, I'll never know just because you, of the fact I was in I was in college that time. Yeah, but um, at the same time, that's sort of the, um, hearing what JT was saying, that's kind of the bomber side. We haven't really heard um, Wright State side. There may have been other some other non-payment issues, or maybe there was some just um, organizational stuff behind the scenes. I mean, there's always there's three sides to every story, one side, the other side, and the truth. Yeah, I, I like to go back into the venue talk. Uh, uh, Day Air Ballpark is beautiful, and it's a great place for not only the Dragons to play, but they have done a nice job bringing in the local high school teams. They go pretty far north over Lima to get some schools. I know my Twin Valley South Panthers were involved in a couple of these uh, over the years. Uh, Preble Shawnee was too. Valley View's been in a lot of them. I mean, they do a nice job getting the local schools in, and it's it's a lot of fun to not only work those games but announce those games. So definitely a great venue. And you mentioned UD Arena and other center, fantastic venues as well, but. I mean, outside that, you have uh, Trent Arena, but uh, the rest are high school venues. Yeah, well, Trent Arena is basically a high school venue. It's, again, what was it, uh, Fairmont High School? Yep. It, it, it is a fantastic facility, but, I mean, that's the only really sort of basketball-ish place that you could play and sort of get away with that as a, at a kind of professional level. Mm-hmm. For um, indoor venues, like you said, there's pretty much only other high school venues and if you wanted to stretch your imagination, uh, the Dayton Convention Center. Mm. 
I mean, that's where the Gem City Roller Derby were for a couple seasons, and that that wasn't too bad. I mean, it's and downtown. Actually, actually, if I remember, I think the original Dayton Dynamo had their last season in the um, convention center as well. It was, uh, yeah, that was their last year in Dayton before they moved to Cincinnati, stayed there for three years, and then folded. Which I always laugh at the fact that, you know, Dayton Dynamo 2.0, which we'll probably talk about during the stream, uh, Dayton Dynamo 2.0, they got their start in Cincinnati as the Saints, came over to Dayton for the last two seasons, and, you know, that was that. It's it's funny how both Dynamo teams either came from or went to Cincinnati. And in the um, latter case, I think they were sold to a group that um, was either based in Cincinnati or Northern Kentucky. I want to say Cincinnati, mm-hmm. but and then that was the end of it. I mean... If someone really wanted to set up a very successful minor league team, they probably look. They probably have to build a venue. And if you think about what's around Dayton, you're probably going to have to build in the suburbs, just because downtown is it's pretty full. And that space that I thought, I think you thought this too. You probably thought this, and then I was like, hmm, that's a good idea. Uh, the the tech town. That lawn, the corner of uh, Kiwi and Webster, that might have been a nice place for a field, and you know that that's no longer a thing. There's a building there. I know it's just a lot of logistics going involving into building any kind of stadium anywhere. The only other thing that might make sense at from any angle would be a top to bottom renovation of a welcome stadium, but then you have to get with the Dayton Public Schools and all that. Yeah, I mean. I mean- I'm pretty sure they wouldn't object to it if someone had waived enough money and had enough promises and such, but it's hard to see that happening if nothing's coming. I need to see the money and, you know, some concrete plans and make sure that you're not just going to run off if we say okay. Yeah, but that's again with them um, talking about indoor venues and outdoor venues. It's, there's There's just really nowhere to play, which... I mean, there's really not much more to it than that. I mean, I think the Dayton Dynamo 2.0 were sort of on the right track, go playing mm-hmm. at, um, what was it? It was a Roger Glass Stadium. It's yeah. Chaminade Julien. Now, that is a very, very nice facility. I mean, I mean, we've, we've been to plenty of high school football fields, you and I both, and that, I don't want to say it seems, it seems sort of the least like a typical high school field. It helps that Roger Glass doesn't have a track around it, so you're literally sitting on top of the the field. Um, Because I I really don't know of any other uh, stadiums like that that don't have a track around it. uh, The only other stadium that I know of that doesn't have a track is actually in our own town of uh, Kettering, the, uh, was it, Roush Stadium? That doesn't have a track on it around it, but it's only as wide as a football field, so... Football's really the only game you could play there. I've only been there once, and it was my first of two calls on 9.80 a.m., and I totally forgot about that. I thought there was a track around Roush. Nope, there isn't there, but pretty much every other field that could potentially have soccer or whatever, it's got a track on around it except for Roger Glass. I'm, there's probably one or... Actually, actually... I don't want to say I tell a lie, but I remember it was either, I think it was last season when I was doing on radio for Gem City Sports for soccer. Uh, it was, I think, was it Springboro? 
But I'm not talking about the big main stadium, which I think does have a track around it. Mm. They were playing their soccer games, I think, at the middle school. That's right. Uh, that that reminds me, Centerville, their soccer field is, uh, well, it's soccer and lacrosse, but it's played not at the main stadium, but at uh, their field behind, uh, what is it, Masig Middle School? That's a beautiful facility, and um, I get a chance, or I have the chance, um, past few seasons, if I had one or two games I got to announce there, and it's a lot of fun, and, you know, it's, like I said, great Great venue, but at the same time, I mean, there's only one. No, I'm wrong. There's two sets of stands. I I don't know why I was thinking there's only one set. But you get we get what you're saying. It's just you know, you if you want to play outdoor soccer, maybe even bring a minor league lacrosse team. Which I don't know if that's really a thing or not. I hope it is because I want to see lacrosse grow. I mean, I can't really think of any other stadiums that don't have a track around it it's it's that's going to be a problem that any would-be professional team that comes to town was going to be facing which is making me think that the maybe the right approach to building a team might not necessarily be a professional team but to sort of do what's to do what's been tried in the last few years is just build an amateur team at a very very high level and just sort of build that up organically to the point where it either has to be professional to um, get to the next level or basically pro or bust, if you will. I was going to say, Dutch Lions, they are USL League 2. Are you talking about League 1 in that sense, then? Mm, I'm not, I guess I'm not really sure. I mean, in the USL umbrella, yes, League 1 is pretty much the only way you can go upwards. But in order for them to get to that point, in my opinion... In order to get this to something where the NFL, in order to just make more money or whatever, or not to where going pro would have to be the right move to go. That's probably it. I would also like to shift the conversation over. We talk a lot about outdoor venues, but indoor venues, because you know my my main sport I've been broadcasting the past few years has been hockey. And with Hair Arena closed and the Nutter Center no longer having the proper ice-making equipment or, you know, they don't use it, you know, there's no real place to play ice or play hockey, play ice. Let's go play some ice. <laughs> well, you couldn't play ice even if you wanted to play ice in Dayton. There's, <laughs> you said no Hera, no Nutter, and the only other places that hold um, hockey rinks can only see like maybe a couple hundred people, a few hundred people. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, if you're looking for, you know, juniors, it'd probably be okay, maybe. But if you're looking for, like, the pro experience of, you know, yesteryear with the ECHL, I was going to say the Central Hockey League, but they kind of got folded into the ECHL. So, you know, if the Gems never folded the second time round, it would have been interesting to see if they, you know, stayed and became part of the ECHL again and rekindled that rivalry with Toledo and Cincinnati. Oh, I mean, that, that would have been fun. That would have been fun too, but I don't know if I would have been able to broadcast it just because, you know, I got my start with the Demons and I don't know if I would have ever got a shot with the Gems 2.0. Yeah, what could have been. But anyway, there's not a whole lot. I mean, again, it goes back to building a venue but I mean we're again we're kind of getting into a chicken and the egg situation here I mean do you want to build an arena in the hopes in the 
potential hopes that a team would come by, or do you want to build something up from the ground up before we become a a team that needs a stadium rather than a stadium that needs a team? If you look at the situation in Quebec City, you know they built this brand new Colisee, and they're trying to get the Nordiques 2.0 up there, and it hasn't happened yet. So it's become like a giant home for their junior hockey uh, Rempart team. I think that's how you say that in French. I but think it's the uh, Colisee. I think the Colisee. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. I, if, it's, if it's got that little pointing up accent at the end, I think it's pronounced A or Colisee. Colisee. Yeah, that probably makes more sense. But brand new facility. It's state of the art and it's ready to host an NHL team. And it's been open for quite some time. I, I don't think quite 10 years, but uh, it, it's been open for a long time. And they still haven't been able to get an NHL team into Quebec City. I mean, that. I'm not saying, you know, if we build an arena, we're waiting for an NHL team to come to Dayton, Ohio. That's not what I'm saying at all. If you build an arena like that, a multi-purpose arena, we're going to have your hockey team, a basketball team, indoor football team, you know. Multi-purpose if, is the key word there. Exactly. I mean, you would know more than me, but that's Kelsey. Do they hold um, other events there like concerts or and such? Yeah, I think I think that they do up in the Colisee. Uh, it replaced the Pepsi Colisee, um, which was the Nordiques' last home yeah. until they moved to Colorado in 1995. But um, yeah, I mean, multi-purpose. That's how you're going to make. That's how you're going to stretch your dollar, and that's how you're going to get things in there. Now the big question is: if you build this multi uh, multi-purpose venue, where are you putting it? Because again. Uh, you can try to, you know, renovate Dayton Convention Center. I think that'd be a pretty nice spot, but um, I, I don't... I to agree there, but it's going back to what else you said. <coughs> um, Sorry. Having room um, in the place, it's having room in downtown is going to be very, very difficult. And it, it just would, it just, it's going to be hard to find land there. So I'm just thinking, like, I'm thinking renovating something that exists, if you want to keep it in downtown, might be the best option. The only other thing I can think of, just going back to um, trends and such, is that this is just a random thought. The last um, big arena, the first big arena that was kind of built, I mean, that wasn't UD Arena, was um, Hera Arena, if I remember. And that was yep. part of like a big shopping center area with Salem Mall and everything. And when the Nutter Center was built, that was kind of around the same time when the uh, Fairfield Mall was being built, or, or at the very least, just a year or two before that, and that's kind of what ramped that up. Yeah, the Nutter Center, they worked on that in the late 80s and opened it uh, fall 1990, and the Fairfield Commons Mall would open in 1993. So, yeah, it would stem It would stem that. So, if It was more kind of a perfect storm of um, of people coming down doing shopping there and having an entertainment venue nearby. So, I mean, right now... That might be the only, that might be the only hope as far as building a um, stadium or arena or somewhere wherever the people are at, whether they're, where they're doing shopping, whether they're doing business at. I mean, basically, you're going to have to reverse that trend because Austin Landing is probably the the one center that's growing the most. Uh, the green, maybe, but I, I think Austin Landing is. I mean, I've always wanted uh, a building there or a multi-purpose rink there, uh, Austin Landing, or right across from it, just because... It's 75. I mean, you got a straight shot into Cincinnati. If you build it close enough to the highway, you can see it from not only 75, but 741, major, major roads. You got a lot of shopping. You got a lot of eats. 
you got movies across the way. Um, now there's that uh, little emergency room they built across the roadway. There's there's not a shortage of things to do around that area, and it's growing. So, you know, I'd say maybe Austin Landing would be a nice place for it if, you know, you consider it. That's the only place that comes to mind. I mean, you mentioned the green, but unfortunately I don't think there's anything anywhere, any land or such around there that would be good for that. So I can't really think of anything because there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, houses if you go east past 675. That's a really nice neighborhood out there. If you try to build north, then you run into the problem of are you going to build where it's not so easy to get to you know 675 you can get to 835 sure but it's you know it's not a highway where you can get on get off quick so but i mean they there was a twitter account for it when i was still in college looking to build a venue at austin landing and you know it never happened and that account died pretty quickly if i remember right it's just it's a shame I don't know if we'll ever see a new venue. I don't think it's going to be something we're going to expect in the next few years. Maybe, you know, in the long run, like 10 years or so. But, uh, you know, it's... The only thing I can think of is as long as... As long as venues like uh, the Nutter Center keep taking taking big um, concert halls, concerts and such, or other once-in-a-while events besides just... Um, Besides um, Wright State basketball, I don't know if that might change at all. Plus, also, with a UD's renovation, that might attract some stuff as well. So there might not be a whole lot more demand for a indoor stadium, or at least a super professional-grade stadium. I mean, you're going to have to build it where it's it's better to go to that place instead of just UD Arena or another center. you got to – you're finding That's the big fishes true. up there, and it's uh, – yeah, it's just it, it's something that needs to happen to get some of these sports back, but again, I don't know when that's going to happen or not. So indoors and outdoors, and like you were saying, um, getting there is kind of a important thing as well. I mean, I mean, if it's somewhere in the middle of nowhere, if you got to go through a lot of local streets, it's going to be a lot more. It's going to be a lot harder to convince people to check it out. Exactly. Now, Brian. Uh, we were supposed to have another gentleman join us on this stream, uh, Lincoln Schreiber. I mentioned that uh, in kind of the beginning. Uh, he wasn't able to join us tonight, so now I think it's appropriate time to uh, play what he said, and we'll play it in chunks a little bit. We'll uh, tell you a little bit about him and everything. So are you ready to hear what Lincoln Schreiber's got to say? Yes, I am. All right. Hey there, Lee. Thanks for having me on the show today. Um, sorry I couldn't join you in person, so to speak, in the digital sense right now. But um, I get to see my parents. Uh, and it's the first time I've seen my parents in almost two months. So I can't quite leave that one behind, if you know what I mean. Um, so a little bit about myself. I'm Lincoln Schreiber. Everyone just calls me Link uh, and has for my entire radio career. Uh, I have been broadcasting high school sports for 21 years now. Uh, in fact, this is going to be the first season that I'm not going to be uh, simply because of COVID. Uh, I've enjoyed a very long career uh, over with WSWOLP in Huber Heights, the volunteer station there in Huber and working with Zach uh, Riepenhoff and Dave Bernard 
and Brad Lewis and and everybody else over the years. Kevin O'Boyle, that's been a guest on your show before, is untimely passing. Even you, Lee, uh, working there and volunteering with you for a short time. So, yeah, that's how I know of Lincoln Schreiber. Um, we work together at WSWO. Good guy. Um, and hopefully a future guest on my podcast soon. But uh, he couldn't make it today, so I asked him a couple questions and he's responding to it. Uh, there is some unfortunate news. Uh, WSWO, was it today or yesterday? They announced that they are unable to broadcast fall sports for the Wayne Warriors just because away press box is saying no and, you know, COVID. So. Well, that's kind of a concern for many reasons, but that's concerning. Definitely. So I'm going to go ahead and start the clip again. And just having a lot of fun with that. <clears throat> I've been doing that for maybe 15, 15 seasons, as my, you hear my cat in the background. Sorry about that. Uh, and then I started off at Wright State in 99 uh, at W. SW, not WSWO, WWSU. Um, I came in as a volunteer and started volunteering with the sports department there. And they actually had a big shakeup where their sports director left. And they brought me in. They, they bended some rules and they brought me in. As you hear Selena there in the background. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of where I made my start. And then just kept going here and there. It wasn't very long after uh, I worked for, I graduated from Wright State uh, University with a degree in broadcasting. Uh, I worked over at WHIO for a time, and still they let me volunteer and help out with sports here and there as I could. And I left the radio industry, paying radio industry, uh, for teaching. And I went back and got my graduate degree in English composition rhetoric. And I have been teaching ever since. Uh, I'm a professor right now. So, But I have enjoyed my broadcasting. And I have enjoyed watching so many generations of high schoolers play their first game from their last game. Uh, especially for Wayne. That's been my primary look at was Wayne High School. Sorry, I let the cat out. Okay. Um, so Wayne High School is where my primary home and primary recording, and I've been doing football and baseball and basketball and softball. And <laughs> I know that we've had a lot of requests to do track meets, um, wrestling. I have done some wrestling and some stadium announcing, um, just volunteering and, you know, uh, much the same way you have Lee and kind of making a nice career out of any way possible. And I just kind of decided instead of trying to find all of that, that I just kind of went with the teaching route and it's paid off quite nicely. But thanks to WSWO, I've always had a home to come in and do sports casting, which is, it really has always been my first love. So it's kind of a brief introduction, I guess. And what got me into sports, really, what kind of got me into sports broadcasting is I, I just grew up listening to sports on the radio. Um, my dad and I would listen to games, uh, all kinds. And even still, I would, I much prefer listening to a game on the radio than watching a game. Um, I'm a big 49ers fan. So this last season that, that where the Niners did well 
for the first time in a long time, really, really well. Um, I was the most games I got to watch, but I mean, I have to go through so many hoops to listen to a 49ers game. Um, you know, some of the major sports makes it so difficult to do that one. I've been, I've been a sports director for years and I've been a, just a broadcaster. I much prefer just being a broadcaster than the director if I can help it, but Hey, anything that gets me in that booth with a headset on and just getting to watch these young athletes develop and play and just because a lot of them won't go beyond the high school. And, you know, you, you know, those people that will and you're you're glad for them. But it's something special when you've got a, a person that, you know, is not going to go beyond and watching them just that is their moment. That is a moment they'll think of for the rest of their life. And, and that's probably the saddest part of Corona right now is that they're going to miss out on that, that, that aspect. So question two, uh, what makes the Dayton scene sports scene? Awesome. I like to point out that, um, the Cincinnati and in me, once I heard he was a 49ers fan, I was like, grr, you knocked us off on both, both Super Bowls in the eighties. But no, um, basically, yeah, Lincoln Schreiber, like I said, uh, potential future guests on the podcast and you hear what he, um, you know, went through in his broadcasting career, you know, good dude. And he's got some interesting things to say because he's also been a part of the Dayton sports scene as well. Brian, or yep, I'm, you, I'm still here. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I, I was going to ask, uh, what were your thoughts about hearing about uh, Lincoln's background? Oh, sounds like he's he's been around quite a while. I mean, it's very impressive everything that he's done. Sounds like, and well, I'm interested to hear what he's got to say. And he's got uh, pretty interesting points as well. So just want to make sure that you know you were still okay. And let's roll that beautiful bean footage. You know, it's it's very interesting. I think it depends on which sports scene you're looking at. Um, <clears throat> for example, the fanaticism that surrounds high school football, uh, especially here in Dayton. You have people who don't have children at all that have season tickets to their local high school team. You know, or they get so upset, you know, with what happened in Wayne with Coach Mitten's replacement. <clears throat> People just, I really thought some of them may have just got up and moved out of Huber Heights. You know, it's quite amazing, the dedication. And they haven't had children in Wayne, or they don't have children in Huber Heights, or never have, or they haven't in decades. And they have that utter, undying loyalty. You get that with UD, too. You know, UD basketball especially. I mean, try to get UD tickets sometime. You know, it's, it's, I, I've tried to go to a few games. Whew, that's a noise level that rivals any NFL stadium in there, in, in UD arena. And, and I think that sort of thing is really what makes the Dayton sports scene awesome. Um, the, the huge amount that goes still to the Dayton Dragons. You know, and that is probably one of the some of the best days in summer. And let me let me tell you a quick story of of a friend of mine named Doug who's who's no longer with us. Um, 
Doug had had some problems in life and had been working on getting his life better. But he worked a couple of like just part time jobs and you know, he still had some substance abuse problems, but what he, I mean, he would do this a couple times a season is that he would work his jobs and would work his, his two jobs as much as he could to save up, to take me to a lawn seat at the dragons. Um, with, uh, he was a poet of mine from the Dayton poetry slam and he would save up and he would buy two lawn seats for the two of us. And he would buy me a hot dog and a beer, no matter my insistence that if he's paying for the ticket, I pay for the food. Um, he wouldn't hear of it, but just the sheer joy it brought that man to buy me a lawn seat and a hot dog and a beer. And I think that's one of the nice things about Dayton too, is you can still afford a hot dog and a beer. Um, but I think that's that says something a lot about Dayton's sports scene. It's just that it, it it's not a live or die situation, but it's just sheer joy. But you don't get that in every facet. You don't get the UD fan base at Wright State. You just don't. You know, and, and my years that's my years of years and years of, of going to Wright state and going to things at Wright state. Um, you just don't get that same fanaticism. And, and yes, it's a little bit of fair weatherness there at Wright state, but you don't get that there. You, you, you got that for some of the time at the bombers when the bombers were here, you got that for some of the time when the gems were here. Oh God, I loved going to gems games. Um, and even, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you remember this or not, Lee, but the Dayton Diamonds, may, Kevin may have brought this up to you in talking to you over the years. The Dayton Diamonds were a, a women's professional football team here in Dayton. Um, they were a, it was a one of a kind thing. They literally played in any field that would let them play. Um, and I remember I was doing stadium announcing for them. Uh, I very rarely got paid for it, but I was doing stadium announcing for it. And in fact, I was using my own equipment to to do the announcing. Um, Kevin did it for a while, too. And I remember broadcasting their very first touchdown. You know, the, the, the team was trying as hard as they could, and they had crowd that would come out to watch. But I remember broadcasting their very first touchdown, and you'd have thought those woman, women had won the Super Bowl. The way that that place just went crazy. So I think that's what makes the scene awesome is when you've got a sport that's got those diehard fans that are willing to be there. Um, and I think that is also what needs to be improved for the Dayton sports scene is that, you know, and I think I don't know how you would improve that. So, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see. You know, you have the diehard UD fans. You have the diehard high school fans. You have the diehard Dragons fans. But I think Dragons are interesting because people go to the Dragons for the experience. I very rarely, personally, and I've been going to Dragons games since they opened. Um, I used to live right down the street from from the stadium. I used to hate it when they'd play a late game or when I was working third shift. Um over WHIO and, and, you know, all of a sudden 
they would win a game and all the pyro would go off and the fog horns would go off. That was the end of sleeping for Link. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting that you go to them for experiences. I went to the Dayton Bombers, much the same. You know, you go up to Columbus, the Blue Jackets game. It's an experience. You're not going necessarily for the team. And I think that's why some of the other leagues and some of the other minor league stuff has failed here in Dayton is that they didn't really do a good job at putting in that experience and putting in that, that it was, it was a show. It wasn't just, you know, the sport was almost secondary and UD doesn't do that. UD, the sport is the prime show when you go to a UD basketball game. And let me emphasize that basketball. You don't get that with UD football, you know, I mean, there's still a lot of people there for UD football and I'm not trying to slight the program whatsoever, but it's not UD basketball, you know, and that's just end all be all of it. It's not UD basketball. Um, but I think that's the thing you go to dragons game for the spectacle for the green team, for roof man, for, um, you know, seeing Heater and Jim walking around, you know, seeing the bomber walk around back when the, the days of the Dayton bombers, uh, Bill Kirby, you know, <laughs> in there for the gems in Hair Arena. Oh, I miss Hair Arena. And that's some, that's the thing I think what you need to improve upon is the experience. You know, it's not just going to a game, you're going to go to a full experience, you know, the cyclones down in Cincinnati, that's an experience, you know, that's an experience that I can't wait to share with my kids. I, I remember taking my oldest when she was a little girl to the Dayton gems at Hare arena. It was her first ever hockey game and she loved it. She still will sit and watch a hockey game with me now. Uh, absolutely loved that experience and got into it. But it was all the other stuff that really kept her wanting to come back and kept her wanting to experience that. And I think that's why the other leagues, again, haven't caught on is that there's not an experience. You know, you're just going to watch those athletes play. There's not the extra stuff around it. And I think that's what needs to be improved upon. I mean, yeah, you can spend all the money and build new venues you can you can do that, but I don't think you're going to get the amount of success you need unless you have that experience factor. Lincoln brings up a lot of good points, and he's at the end. He's talking about we still have about ten minutes left of the clip. There's uh, another few questions, but he brings up the experience, and that's something the Dayton Dragons have done you know, right without question. I mean, they're so focused on customer service and making, you know, a family night type of deal. It's, you know, it's something that I don't know if I thought about it before, but you got to have the experience of it. Not just, you know, you go to a game, there's the game, you forget about it. You need something that you'll keep coming back to. Absolutely, but before we further say anything, I just I'm so happy that he mentioned the uh, Dayton Diamonds. A quick shout out to TJ; she's listening. But um, anyway, excuse me a second. <clears throat> Sorry to clear my throat, but anyway, I think he's spot on with the um, experience bit. And again, the Dayton Dragons are kind of the gold standard locally when it comes to building an experience. And 
you and I've seen plenty of times where just the experience for just the stuff beyond just the sport is just not there. Just, I mean, I mean, there's nothing really else to enjoy other than the sports. I mean, I don't want to say the sports should be secondary. I mean, it, it's I want I want to say it's kind of the kind of a meat and potatoes kind of thing where one's kind of the main course, the other's kind of the salad or the dessert or whatever. Mm. But yeah, having having a good experience, having a good game day experience is a very important thing too. I mean, I'm sorry. That's all right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, y- you know you're going to get sports when you go to a sporting event, but now it's about what else can you provide outside, you know, the sports. I, I think, you know, there was a couple nights where the Demons and Demolition did great things. I always liked it when the cop cars of Trotwood would come out on the ice and do a lap. That I think that was really cool. I mean, and I liked it. I believe it was Demolition where we had the Trotwood Mass and Band in one of the corners of Hair Arena, and they would play. Oh, nice. oh it was great. And it, it you, you never would have thought that a high school band and hockey would mix but <laughs> let me tell you high school hockey and uh, excuse me high school band and hockey mix although high school hockey and high school bands mix as well i mean centerville had that last year and that was really cool so oh, yep and there was one year i believe it was when the bombers were still around they had with uh, a lefty mcfadden um they had college hockey thing there and mm-hmm. for one of the games i went to miami of ohio was playing in the miami um pep band was actually there it was it was so for me, having never experienced it, it was so strange having a pep band for a um, hockey match. Yeah, I never would have thought that would work, but it it does. It does. I, I mean, Miami does hockey right down in Oxford. Oh, yes. It's, I, I kind of wish we had a Goggin Ice Arena up here in Dayton, you know. But you know, that's that's another topic for another time. Yeah, but but if, I'm sorry. Do you mind if I go off another tangent? Sure. Just going back on another thing that he meant that Link mentioned is that the fanaticism of high school and um, college fans. That's absolutely a big thing. But I would dare say that one of the reasons why that's an important thing, at least for high school and college, is sort of the sense of community. And also, you've got some sort of built-in investment into the team or school that you're supporting. I mean, you don't have to have used to have played for a team to um, have some sort of kind of connection to. I mean, me, I've got a connection to Carroll High School being an alumnus. I've never, I only did one sport for them, but I'll cheer for them if um, they're going to a game. And same with the folks there for um, in Huber Heights for Wayne. I mean, a lot of them are alumnus. They've grown up around Wayne their whole life, so they've got an investment. they got a connection to Wayne, so they, they will want to cheer for them. I and mean, it's the same with college. You don't really get that too much with the... Um, professional and um, sit-man high-level amateur clubs. And it's tough, too, just because, you know, like you mentioned, high school communities, you're in the community, you know, you pretty much root for that community, whereas, you know, that's not necessarily the case for collegiate or, you know, teams, like pro teams and semi-pro teams. It's, you know, you have to build up to that. Absolutely, and I think one of the biggest ways to do that is just sort of get out into the community and that's another thing that the when you mentioned like one of the things that I would do right away is maybe get some kind of community involvement in out there go to where the people go ask them what they like just find out what they like find out what they don't like just learn about them get yourselves out there amongst them and they'll see it's like hey they're just like us it's you know there, there's a lot of great ways to build up community spirit and I think 
I don't want to say it's the one thing that's, you know, missing, but it's something that I think, you know, should be in every blueprint of any team that wants to call Dayton home, or anywhere home. It's a significant building brick to the entire process. And also, i like to shout out Dayton Diamonds as well. I was, I'm still hoping that they come back one day, but... You know, I I never worked for the Diamonds myself. I always, you know, followed long social media. And didn't you work for the Diamonds a little bit, or am I oh, dreaming yeah. that? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I've, I've done some stuff for um, their um, owner, Tanya Jackson, quite a few times. She's a very nice lady. And again, shout out to her if she's listening. Hopefully the Diamonds come back. But in case the Diamonds never do, there is the Cincinnati sizzle down uh, south and I think they call one at Walnut Hills High School home if anyone's interested in catching women's football, which I, I wish it was more of a thing. But let's go ahead and uh, finish up the rest of Link's audio file. we got about eight and a half minutes on this. I kind of answered question three in the last one. You know, it, it, you can improve that situation by making it more of an experience, you know, Let's look at, well, I, I can't stop calling it fifth, third field, day air, credit union field, or whatever, day air stadium, whatever it is right now. When they built that, it was in the middle of a rundown area with nothing but empty buildings, half of which belonged to Mendelssohn. They bought all that land, and they've developed that entire region. It, the Dayton downtown revitalization in some way started with fifth third field started with the Dayton dragons, you know, apartments all around there. Um, you know, canal street tavern having a nice resurgence because you've got the field right there. They had a good show. People are walking in. I know we were recipients of that from the Dayton poetry slam. They would just walk in bricks, all of those different. And, and I'm sorry to throwing names out here, but you know, all those different places, you know, the luxury apartments now all around the, the ballpark, that's all by design. And, and I think that's by, because it was a conglomeration. It was a group of businesses that got together to come in and build up the dragons. I don't see that happening again um, and striking gold twice. Also, let, let's think about this logistically, Lee. Where would you put that? Like, for example, if – and there's the other problem is what sport would even lend itself to that? Because when you look at it, what other sport has a good, solid minor league? Because Dayton is not a – Dayton is not an area where you plunk a major league team. It's just not. It, we don't have the size. We don't have the infrastructure to plunk – a major league team here minor league a good solid minor league and i think that's one of the other steps is you have to be able to see that clear progression from the player you saw here at playing for the dragons and he goes to the reds that's excitement that's something you can see um you, you got that a lot in hockey where you had players that were just starting out that you knew were going somewhere. And then you had some of those that were in the twilight of their career that had been sent down, but still had some great games left in them. Uh, I always enjoyed, I always, you know, yeah, always enjoyed seeing that. <clears throat> but I, where would you even like, for example, 
let's say suddenly there became you, you had some type of minor league football. Let's go football. Because that, you know, where I don't, I don't even know where you would play. Where would you put that? You know, there's no place downtown anymore to really place a stadium like that. You could place it a little bit up north. Hera Arena's old area, a little too far out of the way. Let's let's just call it like it is. <clears throat> People aren't going to go to Trotwood because it's too far out of the way. It needs to be not far off of the highway, much like the Nutter Center. And I think the Nutter Center could have been something huge had the Nutters not hindered everybody so much, you know, in their demands. So, you know, where would you even plunk? I love using that word. I've used it like five times already. But where would you put it? You know, I can't think of a place that's very far off of the highway that you could devote the land. Maybe Moraine? Just outside Moraine? Somewhere in that general vicinity. South of Dayton, Austin Landing, that area? Maybe. I just realized there was one spot that uh, I didn't mention in this stream. The old Roberts, West Carrollton. I mean, nowadays it's got the uh, nice and easy uh, on-ramp and off-ramp from I-75. And the only question is, is it big enough to have uh, that amount of parking that you need? I don't know, but at the same time, it's something that uh, I didn't really bring up yet. So Roberts' area wouldn't be bad, but... um, yeah, I don't know the logistics of having a stadium there or not. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that um, either. I'm trying to remember where you're talking about, like the old where the old Roberts Building used to be, or yeah, it's all it's all flattened now. It's just a big uh, okay. It's a oh, big it's uh, like when you would drive up my um, 75 North. Yeah. Uh, all right. It's, it's been a while since I've it's been a while since I've driven up there. Well, been a while since I've driven anywhere. So. It's now where uh, it's it's um it's uh, Dixie Highway and it's uh, connected. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's yeah, it's now four wait, lanes. I and, think I know what you're talking about now, but um, you're talking about the old yeah, days where might... you could get to I-75 North. You're going eastbound, and if you wanted to go I-75 South, well, you're turning around and going up there. It was uh, <laughs> yeah, that was an engineering nightmare. I don't know why they yeah. made it like that, but uh, I don't claim to be an engineer. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's an empty lot right there. And hey, if you're talking about close to the highway, well. Well, if you if you can manage to build an arena on top of a highway, I don't think you're going to get any closer than that. <laughs> but I don't no. know. Again, I'm not an engineer. Um, but uh, to finish up Link's uh, audio file, here it is. Maybe. Who knows? But I think also what you need to do is looking at the what sport. What sport would you even pull in? You have to have a good, solid minor league where you can see those people going directly. Soccer would be good. You know, if we, if I, I know there, I, I, and I have to apologize for my ignorance on this one. I do not know if there is a minor league soccer right now. There is. It's the Dayton Dutch Lions in League Two. <clears throat> but a good, small, mid-level field, you know, much much like we've done with the Dayton Dragons. Not a huge park, but a nice small level for hockey or for soccer. You can't say hockey because, you know, you've got the Cyclones down in Cincinnati. Um, and I know they've tried a couple of things up near Troy, but people in Dayton are not going to drive to Troy. 
they're they're just not you know the people up up north will drive down for a dragons game but it's got to be something near the main downtownish area or you're not going to get the audience coming in that you want i mean you know and i what i mean by audience that you want is the audience that's going to come in and spend money because again that's why the dragons have survived they found that beautiful price point and they've kept it so well and i'm not talking about the seats because that's regulated and I'm talking about everything else you know I, I can go to, if i go down to the reds i have to take out a small loan in order to eat the for the day um but the dragons you know hey for the price of a pizza i can get a pizza and a hot dog and a drink so yeah, I think that's I think that's what really need, you need to look at that. So I think that's what the steps the community can is agree that we want to bring somebody in, pick somebody that's got a good, solid minor league program where you're going to see that people in that league go up to a higher level. And I think that's the reason why a lot of those other sports did not succeed. You do not see them going up to a higher level. All right. Five, what do you see in the future of Dayton media and sports? More radio shows, stations that cover Dayton sports, new venues. Um, There is going on right now a big fight. I, I call it a fight. It's more like a battle between, if you look at it, there's only a few people that are still doing radio sports here in Dayton. WSWO, for example, Centerville has a radio station. A lot of other schools have radio stations that cover, um, spectrum obviously has coverage, but there is this other group that's doing a lot of Facebook streaming, Facebook live streaming. And I think live video streaming might be the next evolution. Uh, if we can marry some of the radio aspects with some of the video aspects, you know, I think there's always going to be people that want to listen to the shows and that may not have the data to watch watch the video on Facebook. Uh, I know at WSWO, we get a lot of U.S. troops overseas that listen to our broadcast because they're broadcasts. They're, they can get them. They can pick them up easily. It doesn't take a lot of bandwidth. Uh, we've been trying, and sometimes, you, you know, Armed Forces Radio will push us a little bit and say, Hey, if you guys want a nice hometown Friday night football experience here, here's the web link. Here you go. But I think like a lot of different, just, uh, it's going to have to be a new marriage of technology. And I think that's what needs to happen. Do I think radio is going to go away? No, never. (laughs) They're still putting radios in our cars. It's never going to really go away. But if you look at it overall, the amount of sports casting on the radio has dramatically dropped. And it's it's gone to video. Video, video, video. But the problem is, is video takes a lot of bandwidth. It takes a lot of data. It takes a lot of specialized equipment. And that's not saying that radio doesn't. But I do see that's kind of what's going to be. Do I see... The bigger stations, do I see HIO ever covering sports like they used to? Nope. Other than what they do and what they're contractually obligated to do and what they make money off of. And I think that's what it boils down to is what can people make money off of? What can people sell? That That's what's going to be the future. I think if we're looking at sports casting now, Lee, it's people like you. It's people like Doug Brown, you know, that have 
created networks to cover games, to cover things. That's, I think, that that's ultimately, those are going to be the last bastions of high school coverage that you have. Um, you get your local TV, you get your local stuff that still cover games. But if you want a good sit down on the radio, hashtag twin sidecars in the backfield, I think, you know, radio is still going to be there. But I think it's going to be interesting to see, especially post-COVID, how things look. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I am on Twitter at Prof LNS, Professor, I'm sorry, it's at Professor LNS on Twitter. Um, I don't always just talk about sports. I talk about kind of all things on that one. Um, of course, I've been running the Dayton Poetry Slam for the last uh, 18 years. So you can follow us on all social media at Dayton Poetry Slam. <clears throat> but, and also, I think the best thing is keep an eye on Southwestern Ohio Public Radio, WSWO, um, on Facebook. And hopefully, come winter, we'll be able to get some sports on the air again. Because I have zero, and I mean zero, faith that we're going to get more than a couple of games for high school football. I hate to say that. It sickens me to say that. I kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit saying that. But I think that's what's going to happen. So, And yes, definitely, Lee, I hope to get on the air with you live sometime soon. I've been... Um, Looking for a way to get on there with you because I just I love what you do, man, and I have been nothing but impressed with how you have crafted a wonderful career so far. And most people in your situation would have given up already on sports, Lee, and gone and just got a desk job and just called it a day. But man, how you have just crafted yourself into an excellent broadcaster and an amazing, amazing hustle, man. I am really impressed as I always have been my friend. So thank you. Take care and uh, hope to talk with you again soon. And that concludes uh link Schreiber's uh, addition to this stream. Again, we've liked it. We got them live, but sometimes things happen. So, and again, uh, should be a future podcast guest on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Brian, uh, that was uh, that was very well done of Link. It was a lot of good insights there, and I, I agree with him on um, most of the things that he said there. But um, it's a good it's a good template, I would say. And before we continue on, I just want to make sure uh, Brian co-started uh, Gem City Sports Network with Doug Brown. I you know. I didn't create anything. I just talk in a mic. And whoever has me on, that's where I go. So, you know, with today's news, hopefully that means uh, Cincinnati is back in my uh, fall season future. Especially since Wright State and Dayton won't have fall sports until spring. I'm still uh, I'm still kind of wrapping my head how spring season's going to look. There's going to be soccer, baseball, volleyball. I'm just... Potentially football. It's Yeah, oh, pot- potentially. Um, oh, I should mention, for those that follow the podcast, Xavier and the Big E said no fall sports until spring. So right now, for fall sports, I think Cincinnati's the only one left, and they're still talking about a football season. So that's going to be interesting for the Bearcats. As long as things are the way they are right now, pretty much everything is up in the air. 
So definitely, again, thank you, Link, for sending me that audio. You have to tell me how you got the audio that nice sounding, because I feel like I have good sounding audio on my podcast, but there's always, it's always like, do I really have good audio, or is it just, you know, oh, it's good because it was better than last time, but, you know, (laughs) I'll ask you about that later. Um, I did have uh, two people chime in on their thoughts about sports in Dayton, Brian, and I hope you don't mind me reading them. And they're both from uh, former bosses of mine. So if you're okay with that, um, I'll start off with Jonathan Gallion. He was the general manager at WWSU when he hired me as the sports director back in the fall quarter of 2008. He was the one that really believed in me, and the rest is history. You know, also... This is a this is a guy that I thought he doesn't like sports in the slightest. Big hockey fan, so definitely. It, when I found out he wanted to broadcast a hockey game with me, that was just like, where did that come from? You don't like sports? <laughs> what? But uh, and he actually did a really good job. He likes the Red Wings, I think. So, you know, there was a lot better to like the Red Wings back then than it is today. I'll tell you what. But his thoughts are. He thinks the most important thing is finding an NHL team to be an affiliate of because he makes the argument that while the team like the Demons were a great time, they really didn't have a pro team to see the athletes go up. And it's something that Lincoln was mentioning as well. The Demons did have an affiliation with the ECHL Fort Wayne Comets, but uh, that was only for the first year, and it seemed like the Comets took uh, some of the better Demons players, and I think they only sent back like two players for the demons so yeah not uh, not the best working affiliation there but he brings up a good like point it. yeah he brings up a good point that uh, the demons really didn't have a connection and there was a funny story because they wanted to be called the devils but uh new jersey kind of said no you're not affiliated with us you can't use that name so oh boy that's if you ever wondered why it's demons with a z that's why now he mentions it's well Mm, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'm going to kind of disagree with him, and I think there's history. I've mentioned this before in other articles as far as maybe not just with NHL, but uh, with any kind of sport for that matter. Uh, history has kind of shown that affiliating with somebody isn't necessarily going to guarantee you you know, getting more butts in the seats or getting more attention to your program. If I remember, the Dayton Bombers have had a handful of um, NHL affiliates at that time. And in fact, the last one they had was with the local team, the Columbus um, Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. And if I read the um, average attendance correctly, it didn't necessarily, it didn't actually bump up attendance at all. In fact, it kind of just stayed the same. Yeah. I, I thought they had one more before um, they weren't affiliated anymore. Like the last two or three seasons, they didn't have an I affiliation. Think, I, I wonder, was it, Buffalo at one point. Uh, I seem to remember that, but I don't it, know. It might be Buffalo, but I I don't know. It's just that's why, um, I've said, that's why I've said they've had a handful of them during their lifetime. But I recall just that not being a factor. And I hate to bring up more more evidence to the point. Um, the Dayton Dutch Lions, in mm-hmm. their under previous ownership, they were at one point an affiliate of the uh, Columbus Crew, and they mm-hmm. had four. I think they remember sent four of their guys over to us at uh, one time and not only did it not help it led to the season where the Dutch Lions as a, their, in their last season as a pro team 
they did not win a single game. And if I remember, attendance was at an uh, all-time low during their pro tenure. I also say, too, that uh, crew fans still haven't got over that, uh, I think it was an Open Cup game, and I think it was in West Carrollton. No, no, it was actually at the Crew Stadium, and uh, I say that because I was there. Okay, I I know that that um, if you search on Twitter, you'll see crew fans still talking, like the Dayton Dutch Lions are like Satan's, you know, spawn in sporting form. It's like... Mm -hmm. That was years ago, and that guy's not even part of the team anymore. So I think I think I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. I, it's escaping me for the moment, but I think that was his last, the last game he ever played for the crew, and basically retired after that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but uh, I, I will mention well, for the Bombers and the Blue Jackets. If you look at Columbus's history, you know, there's not a lot of sparkling moments for uh, CBJ. In fact, the last few years, you can make the argument best in franchise history. I mean, last year winning their first ever playoff series and sweeping the President's Cup winners in Tampa Bay and the Lightning. I still can't believe that happened. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, back when the Blue Jackets were getting started, it took them a while to even sniff the playoffs. So I get get both the points, too. I mean, I think if you advertise, hey, you know, we're we're hooked up with the Blue Jackets, so we can send some of the players up to Columbus eventually. And also, minor league hockey is a lot different than minor league baseball. If you're, I mean, in the sense that if you're a high enough, you know, if you're a high enough recruit, you're probably not going to be in the ECHL or the AHL even, depends on how good you are, like a Connor McDavid type of thing. Well, you know, the other thing is, well, first off, the gentleman that was um, injured with the crew was name was um, Eddie Gavin. Ah. And in, in trying to remember what year that was, that was, I think it was 2013. But, um, that was, uh, yeah, that was not, but that was, that was the year before the um, affiliation. And I remember crew fans were not happy about the affiliation the next year. But yes, anyway. They're still not happy that the Dutch Lions exist. But, um, yeah, but, that's, um, that's if you search Twitter. Yeah, but that was my but that was my big point was that um, affiliation by itself will not guarantee any kind of bump in attendance or any kind of bump in overall just um appear, appearance. It's got to be with um, promotion. It's got to be with marketing. It's got to be with another thing that uh, Link mentioned, and that is a strong game day experience. And mm-hmm. going off on another quick tension, I don't believe in sort of in hindsight. I don't think you really need a super fancy. Um, stadium to get a great atmosphere granted it's going to be a lot harder but um you can still get something big and dynamic and something that sort of can't miss if you will if you put enough work into it i agree and that's that's a nice argument i can see both sides of the coin on that as i go back into jonathan's thoughts dayton was always good at putting butts in seats for hockey games that being said ice hockey is an expensive sport yeah i mean you know, can I mention something real quick? Uh, for high school hockey, I thought that was the sport that least schools had. I mean, in Cincinnati Dayton, there's only 12 schools that have it, I believe. Whereas water polo, there's 17 in Ohio. So, you know, I'm wrong. Well, and that's a sport I like 17 with water polo? Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, one of the Cincinnati schools is really successful in it. It's either St. X or Molar. St. X is really good at swimming. They've won, like... That does not surprise me. What was it, That's 18? a name that's, um... Even during my swimming career, I've heard St. X plenty of times. I think they won, what, 17, 18 straight state titles? 
It's just it's Wouldn't crazy. Shock me. I mean, it's it's crazy. But anyway, um, both uh, Jonathan Galleon and J.T. Zabo's thoughts are, you know, they really typed up a lot, and I, I thank both gentlemen for it. So I want to scroll down a little bit. I think in order to do that, you would have to put a team out there that's competitive more often than not. So pretty much you have to come in with a thought that, hey, we're not going to be like an 0-30 team just because we're new and we're not going to use the we're new experience. You've got to... You gotta have at least some fight to it, so that makes sense. Well, so. going back to my thing again about promotion and marketing, the phrase I like to say is, "Winning isn't everything, but it helps." And going back, and I got another sort of analogy to go back to that. Um, the um, Dayton Dragons, obviously, I mean, they've sold out every game in their history for a century or whatever. And but think of this: how many years have they had a winning season? Just seven. Yeah. And on top of that, how many times have they been to the playoffs? Just seven times. Yep. I it's something that I it's something that we talk about in the official scores room. It's just because we we like talking about the Dragons team, you know. That's that's funny. A guy that has a sports podcast likes talking about the team. Hmm. Funny that. Hmm. Uh, we talk about that on occasion. It's just there was a long stretch in last decade from the twenty eleven run to twenty seventeen. And in 2016, the Dragons almost hit 100 losses on the season. So, but yeah, exactly. And to con- in contrast to that, um, going back to indoor football, there was, if you remember, a team in Cincinnati called the Cincinnati Commandos. Mm-hmm. Yes. They had um, three seasons from 2010 to 2012. If their Wikipedia article is to be trusted, they were league champions all three years. Mm hmm. And they had an overall record, including playoffs, of 35-3. and three. That was Billy despite, Back, the, the head coach. Yeah, Billy Back, he was there for the whole coaches. He was the coach for all three of those years. But yep. despite that, they folded after the third year. You know what's funny? They were preparing for a fourth season. Then Billy Back took a job. Uh, he's now in Spokane. Uh, he's, um, yeah, he's, he's up there. He's still got a really good career in um, the inner football coaching circuit, and obviously deservedly so. I mean, hopefully that means he can have a shot in the NFL. I mean, I, I don't know how much the indoor football coaching game and the outdoor football coaching game kind of differ on that, but still, the man has success. And that fourth season, I was really looking forward to it because we had the Dayton Sharks. I don't know if we had the Norfolk Kentucky River Monsters that year or not. Um, and if we had Cincinnati, that would have been really, really cool. But... Um, it turned out Billy Back took another job, and then shortly after that, the Commandos folded. I mean, that was a team I liked following just because how successful they were. In fact, I forget which year it was in the playoffs. I think it was against the Huntington Hammer. They beat them 108 to nothing. That's 108 oh points. <laughs> I just remember that like, whoa. <laughs> then you can go to Lindor football and some of their... David versus Goliath that end exactly the way you think they will. Yeah, but, um, you know, we broadcast together indoor football for the Sharks, and, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I can't say a bad thing about it. It's still a great experience and definitely a lot of fun to see. Absolutely. But going back to the original point, my original point was you can have the most biggest winning team in the world, but it doesn't mean that you're going to draw a whole big crowd or have um, maybe not a great atmosphere because... I mean, I mean, yeah, you get like 
like Link said before, I mean, having a good atmosphere is very, very key, and having good promotion is great key is what I'm saying. It's just, you got to have everything there and not just a winning team. Absolutely. I mean, winning helps a little bit, but at the same time, you still got to advertise that, hey, we exist, and you'll have a good time coming to us, and we'll give you a good reason to come out to us. But exactly, winning... Winning kind of helps, but it's not your cure-all, so don't expect that. I mean, like we mentioned with the Commandos, it's... I actually went to a game. They gave out free tickets, and I won them, so I got to go to that game. It was the Marion Blue Racers in town at the Cincinnati Gardens, and that was my only time at the Gardens, which uh, I'm ashamed to admit just because I wanted to see hockey there, but I never got to. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, that uh, real good. That was real fun, so... But... Uh, that's basically Jonathan uh, Galleon's thoughts. I know I kind of skimmed out some of the points, but um, like I said, great hockey, great hockey fan, good guy, and he hired me in college. So you know. Now this is my boss from the Troy Bruins uh, pro season when they were in the All American Hockey League 2.0. JT Sabo, who's also a guest. Oh, what episode that was that? It was during the Blitz where I released. Eight different episodes in eight different days. That was a lot of fun. He disagrees with Jonathan a little bit. And like I mentioned, JT Zabo has experience broadcasting uh, Dayton Bombers, uh, Dayton Gems, and also Troy Bruins when they had the junior hockey team. And he kind of helped run operations uh, for the Troy Bruins second year in the AAHL. So definitely a good guy. Uh, He mentions... uh, like I mentioned, both uh, they, they leave very long comments on that. He'll respectfully disagree with a few points. Uh, affiliation at the Meyer League level in hockey is different than baseball. Affiliation actually ends up costing the Meyer club a lot of cash with limited upside unless you're in the AHL, just because you get some of the bigger names in the AHL. ECHL, not always the case, and it's not always... Not always a, a direct step into the NHL. I mean, you can be a great player, but you still never see the light of day in the NHL, maybe even the AHL as well. Let's see. And interesting enough, since hockey boom of the 1990s, it's actually been shown the opposite is more effective at building a fan base, meaning you don't need the connection. You just need the community aspect type of thing. And like just the, having a community around the team, That's ex- I completely agree with that just like I said before, with um, with high schools and um, colleges and such, you've got sort of a built-in community there. But when you get people invested into your club, that's when you know you've got them, and that's when you know you got to, and that's you, you've got them. He also pushes back on uh, Jonathan's mention that Dayton's always been good in drawing butts and seats for hockey. I lost my place. Hang on. Oh, aside from the Gems' domination in the 60s, Dayton has not had a team that could come close to building capacity and any regularity. Although I thought the Bombers, when they're at Hera, they also they often get close to sellout ranks. And I know the Nutter Center, the only time they did was Dale Earnhardt Jr. was in the building. And once he left, the, most of the fans left. But still. I vaguely remember something like that. That may have been the one... I don't know if I was a season ticket holder that day, but that was one time when I had so much trouble getting to the Nutter Center. I was stuck in traffic up until, I think, either the end of the first period or beginning of the second. And JT also brings up a nice point, too. 
of the splitting of the fan bases. This is when the Bombers decided to head east to the Nutter Center, and then the Dayton Ice Bandits were born. Ice Bandits lasted one season. They didn't have a very good year after their opening game at Hera, but then the Bombers, they last until 2009, whereas the Ice Bandits were there until 1997 at Hera Arena. So that's, that's something that I... I don't often remember uh, i mean don't often talk about the split just because you know you have your diehard hockey fans around hair arena and that was convenient for them but uh to go to the nutter center i mean you have to follow turner all the way towards airway and there's colonel glenn that's not that's not a fun commute especially if you follow people that don't know how to drive <laughs> i can totally understand that but i, I mean maybe i'm just maybe just thinking of today i think today that wouldn't be so much of a problem but back then in the 90s i can totally understand how that would make sense just sort of like driving a split between some of your core fans who might live in the area it might be more convenient to go to those games for them and and to alienate them like that it's it's but at the, i mean i can't i'm a lot of loss for words right now but um i can totally understand how that might draw a wedge between some old-time hardcore fans so JD has a couple of ideas to help get Dayton growing again. He said, uh, wait a couple more years, let the area cool before starting things up. I really need to start highlighting these comments just because I lose my spot. Oh, there we go. Oh, good. Um, then a brand new top of the line building in the 5,000 to the 6,000 size range needs constructed downtown in a central location where the convention center is JT's pick with ample parking and a walkway to the Oregon district and then build up youth and adult hockey. The the last thing that he mentions, the youth and the adult hockey stuff, that's something that I would totally agree with, just to get it built up at the um, grassroots level to get the sport popular at the youth level. And you can say that about um, any kind of sport there. I mean, building is something downtown. I mean, I, we've been over that discussion before, but as he said, he's talking about renovating the um, convention center. Like I've said before, I am kind of a fan of that idea myself. So I'm trying to remember. What other points did he uh, mention? This one I really like. A solid ownership group with millions to spend must be willing to invest in the market to make it successful and no cutting corners. He does mention well, that, that the, uh, the the cheapo stuff of the demons and demolition won't fly, which you know, you know, bigger budget. I get that, but that is quite literally the million dollar question, and I think that might. I don't know if that's. I don't necessarily say that would prevent anything from happening in the Dayton area, but I also wonder if. I think that might be a barrier for anybody coming into Dayton at any time soon, just because. Well, there's no venue here. There's nothing else there. And when he said cooling, have a period of cooling down for hockey, mm-hmm. how long is he thinking? Because how long has it been since he of any kind has been in Dayton? So let's see. Hera closed uh, 2016. That was the only year of the demolition, 2015-2016. Uh, five years. Four years. Yeah, four, four years. years. Uh, five years will be next hockey season. I think that would be an all right time, maybe even in a year after that, because like I mentioned, you know, JT's got a point where people people see the last few teams and, you know, 
there just needs to be ownership that is willing to spend a very nice chunk of change to keep it in Dayton, to make it work in Dayton. And yeah, you got to have the top of the line venue that's, you know, close to five or six thousand. He picks the Southern Professional Hockey League, and I know that sounds a little silly if you don't know about the SBHL, but they've actually been going up to the Midwest. Uh, they have the Peoria Rivermen. They have another uh, Quad Cities. They have a team out there, uh, which would be nice if Dayton ever got a team in the SPHL. And then you have your Southern Swing all the way down to Pensacola, I think, and they're the Ice Flyers. So that, that could be a nice little rivalry, you know. Yeah. The- I knew the MSPHL had some teams up north, and like you said, Peoria. That well, that would make geographical sense. But again, the million dollar question is getting the guy that would have that kind of money, the people, first people or persons that would have the kind of money to fund something like that. I mean, those are interesting thoughts that Jonathan and JT had, and until we have that new venue, I, I think it's all for naught because. Again, Hare Arena is not going to open for hockey or any other sport, for that matter. It's going to be open for uh, maybe a warehouse or something like that. I, I forget what. I, I read it somewhere. It, it, it's not for sports. I can guarantee that much. Yep. And so. in Trotwood, I want to say it's not the best area, but then there's not a whole lot around there to do like accommodations and such anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to be in a growing area. I mean, like I mentioned, Austin Landing with the hotels around there. Uh, West Carrollton wouldn't be terribly bad, but then I think about that. It's like, what hotels near there? I mean, you have to go and exit south, but I guess so pers- Personally, right. I'm not really a fan of a West Carrollton okay. at, all, at all. I mean, just because, I mean, and I hate to crap on the Dutch lines for this, but... Um, that 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 field there, it, I don't really. It's just it, there's, there's nothing near near there at all. That makes. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, you think about well, it. I mean, you got fast food, but that's really it. There's no like. I, I really don't know of any sit down restaurants you have in West Carrollton. I mean, you have the Dayton I, Mall if you want to go south, but that's. I think there's a Mexican restaurant maybe across seventy five, but that might be it. There is that um, stuff on Alex too, but that's again. Th- one more thing, I mean, just just for maybe West Carrollton in general that I don't not particularly a fan of, or at least as far as the Doc Stadium is concerned, it's actually not that easy to get to the field there or to the school there from um, I seventy five. It's kind of counterintuitive how you would get there. I will say, if we still had that setup where you can only get to you know East Dixie or you know Central from one ramp and then you had to U turn around to get to the other side. Thank God those days are over. But uh, you're right. I mean, the Alex Bell doesn't have interstate ramp, interstate uh, on or off ramps. It's uh, Dixie that does. Which, if you head uh, west to get to Alex Bell, that's not the worst thing in the world. But you're right. It's not. I mean, it's not easily accessible unless you know where you're going. And there's not really any sign saying, "Hey, soccer fans, Doc Stadium's that way." You know, Hare Arena had it. Nutter Center has those signs. UD Arena, they have those signs. But the thing is, you can see it off I-75. So, you know, it's kind of all for naught on that. But, I mean, those are solid points. And like I mentioned, the reason why I wanted to do this live stream with you tonight is, A, you have experience with it. And you wrote your articles on GemCitySports.com. And, you know, we worked in these sports. I mean, I I love my jobs with – you know, the dragons and everything. I love the experience I picked up, but at the same time, I just feel like if you're a sports fan in Dayton, you know, it's very, 
what is that word? Defragmented. I like that word, defragmented. But uh, I just feel like I wish sports fans could come together and build Dayton up. I think the word you're looking for is fragmented, not defragmented. I, I mean, do, what we want to do is defrag is get everybody together and come up with a common goal to make sports in Dayton better. That's what I want, defragmented. Thank you, Brian. Um, I, I thought Fragmenting is the problem. Defragmenting is the solution. I, I tried to think of the word, and I thought of the program on Windows, and that's why I said that. But, uh, no, I mean, that's, that's the hope I have, is that sports fans get defragmented, and, you know, it's like... You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one big sporting family. I don't know if I'm completely off my rocker, but it just seems like if you're a fan of Cincinnati sports, there's, you know, you're lumped in and you're part of the family. Whereas Dayton, uh, Major League Sports won't be coming to Dayton, Ohio. I mean, in our lifetimes. But at the same time, I mean, there's no reason why minor league sports can't succeed in Dayton and, you know, grow. Well, there's a couple things there. I mean, well... I mean, yeah, Cincinnati sports are kind of all together, but how many of them are fans of every single sport in Cincinnati? I mean, there's baseball fans, football fans, basketball fans, etc., etc. I I feel like the majority of the Cincinnati fans that I know about are Reds-Bengals fans, but you're right. I mean, there's Reds-Browns fans just because the Cleveland Browns have the longer history on that. So I totally get that, and it's definitely a big thing around Dayton, too. I mean, you have Reds fans, and then you got Cleveland Browns fans, so they swap sides of the state when the uh, seasons change so i totally get that i can get that as well but i mean that goes back to something that kind of i don't say eh, i'm hesitant to say it bugs me and i might want to go back in my words but i don't want to say it frustrates me that they're more willing to be cincinnati cleveland indianapolis whatever fans when there have been options in dayton over the years it just there's frustrates me that they would want to try like travel and support like fit 60 75 miles whatever against Cincinnati Columbus whatever when there's stuff in their backyard and they won't turn their head towards it well at the same time too are they not turning their head towards it or do they not know about it equally important as well because I there's a few teams that I learned about through social media, and that was it. And once I did my own digging, I think some of the posts were from you. I think I found the Dayton Eagles by an accident somehow. That I was like, Dayton Eagles, what's this? And I found out they're a basketball team, which is crazy. Hmm. To think there's two uh, basketball teams in Dayton. That's not college hoops. Uh, the flight and the Eagles. But uh, yeah, that's why I started this stream, because I love Dayton. I know you love Dayton. We're Daytonians, and we want to see sports thrive here. And there's no reason why, you know, Dayton sports can't, you know, live amongst each other, that type of thing. Completely agree. One, and you are talking about, like, how to get people back together and such. Well, there is one story of, that I would like to tell, at least here. Okay. About just to give us inspiration for something that we or if anyone listening to this podcast could do. Going I'm going to go back to soccer again. Um, you remember the team that was in the um, USL League Two called uh, was it Lansing United? Yes. Yeah. The one year that the last year that they played was 2018. Ironically, I think their last regular season game or game ever was in Dayton at Doc Stadium. Hmm. I, if I, I remember. I remember Lansing United. They 
the first year we were working at the Dynamo, they were in the uh, NPSL, and then what was it? The year yes. after the Dynamo fold, uh, they yes, go to the they go to League Two. Yep, they went to League Two in 2018. I recognize well, you guys. You were over there against the Dynamo. <laughs> now you're playing the Dutch Lions. Crazy. Yeah. Yep, and that's where the, this is where the story gets even weirder. Because at the end of the 2018 season, the owner of Lancer United folded the men's team in order to take a position with a new um, professional team called the Lansing Ignite that played their games, I think, at the stadium where the Lansing Lugnuts played. Oh, yeah. Cooley Law Stadium. That's a beautiful place. If you look at their outfield, they have the apartment buildings, too. And that's I feel like, you know, that's why we have an apartment building past right field in Dayton, but that, that might not be, but you get what I'm saying. Yep. But unfortunately the story takes a sad turn when the um the guy that the general the guy of the group that owned the um Lansing United also owned the Lugnuts. Mm-hmm. And after one season of soccer he folded the soccer team. Ugh. So think of it from a fan's point of view, they had um, a team that was mild, that was kinda well supported in Lansing United they folded their club, which kind of made them mad one way to form another pro club and then had that pro club fold after just one year. So in two years, they went from one club to a pro club to nothing. That's a way to uh, peeve off your fans twice. That's double dipping if, if, you're, uh, if you're the owner. Yeah, but here's what, the, here's what the fans did about it. I believe it was about maybe a dozen or so of the um, former Lansing supporters got um, together. They had some meetings and such for about... Um, I think a year, a year and a half, with the idea of forming their own um, fan-owned, supporter-owned club. And I think it was not too long ago, maybe about a month or so, where they finally announced their um, club name, which was called um, Lansing Common FC, I believe. Hmm. And they're going to be playing in a new league, in a league called the uh, Midwest Premier League. Why do so, I know that? Why do I know that league? I... Th- uh, maybe it is. Is it the Midwest Premier League? I want to say it is, but my point is, they saw that um, nothing was going on, but they decided just to talk about it, roll up their sleeves, and um, do something about it. I'm on the website now. It is Lansing Common Football Club. That's a pretty nice shield. That's a little bird on the mm-hmm. in the shield, so that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. How do I an internet page? I guess it's a perfect time to say, hey... I got two new websites. Go visit them. They are SindayPod.com, the new home of this podcast, and TheLeeWMod.com with a facelift. And that looks like a new site and everything. Something I always wanted to do. By the way, Brian, thank you for letting me know the name of that plugin. That does help me out a lot. Oh, no problem. All right. I probably should look at the club. And it is Midwest Premier League. Is that the same league that uh, Toledo Villa FC is part of, or am I dreaming that? Uh... That I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's just a couple of clicks away. I think that might be um UPSL, or maybe it was at one point. That's right, yeah. I'm looking at their website now. In the West Division, you have Union du Dubic. I think that's how you say that. I actually, I've only seen that word uh, in, Iowa. in Iowa. Uh, RWB Adria in Chicago, DeKalb County, also in Illinois, Cedar Rapids Inferno, FC Diablos in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, and Rockford FC. 
East has uh, Livonia, Michigan, Mount Clemens, LK St. Clair, uh, BIH Grand Rapids, and Lansing Common FC. So, no, this is not the one I was thinking of with Toledo Villa FC, but... Um, I think they're either in UPSL or the NPSL, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I yeah, think... I'm at their website. It's got the NPSL logo on it, so... Okay. I, I knew they made a jump sometime, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, at least that hasn't happened. And w- we mentioned how to improve Dayton sports, but uh, remember, we got the Dragons, and hopefully they'll start on time in 2021. We got the Dayton Dutch Lions. They got a men's and women's team. Hopefully, they'll start on time in 2021. But, yeah, I mean, we're two Daytonians, and we want to see sports thrive in Dayton, Ohio. And I think it should happen in Gem City. I agree with you 100%. Now, Brian, uh, we're going to wrap it up in about nine minutes, but I want to bring you back to Dayton Sports Crisis Part 2, or Part uh, 2X. You know, because that's how it said, do X. Towards the uh, bottom, uh, toward the end of Lee's segment, he quips something like, why don't you do something about it? Well, I have no money. I mean, me personally, because I don't. Well, we Dayton sports fans may not have enough individually, but what if we pooled our resources together and did something collectively? Well, I kind of hinted towards that with my story about uh, Lansing Commons, so... Mm -hmm. We'll just say, like I said, that that's what those guys did. They pulled their resources, they pulled their expertise together, talked about it for a while, and got something going on their own. And that kind of is that kind of I think that's a good model because I mean it might not be a good model for professional sports. I mean obviously not, but um, for sports like at a high level, amateur level, when you spread your resources out among several people, if one person that's in charge decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. You've got people in the um, you've got people in reserves. You've got people ready to take up the lead. Whereas, whereas we saw with Lansing Ignite, um, the owner didn't want to do anything more, so he just shut the whole thing down. It's a single point of failure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, individually we might not have a lot of power, but if we group up, maybe you know, we can save Dayton sports. Yep. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be quick, but I think it's what we need to do. If people want to help out that cause, how do they get a hold of you? Hmm, well, that's a good question. I'm on personally. I'm on Twitter. I'm at BRC, so that might be the best place to go. That's what I waste most of my time on. So that would be a good thing when to do. I'm also part of, um, as you mentioned, of GemCitySports.com. So you can check out some of my old stuff um, there as well as Doug Brown, some of my partner, his some of his stuff there as well. He's been doing some of the. Um, Dayton Amateur Baseball League games over the last few weeks, so getting some lo- local live sports there. Must be nice. <laughs> Must be nice. But yeah, Doug does a lot of good stuff. You do a lot of good work. Now with fall sports getting the green light, uh, what's your plans for the fall? Honestly, I'm still on the fence whether I'm going to do some stuff or not. The schedules have been wrecked in the, la- in the wake of what's happened. Plus hearing what... Um, what Link said about the not allow, allow about football not allowing away teams into the boxes, so that might affect what I'm going to do this spring. That's, I'm really really not sure, but um, if 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 I ended up deciding to do something, you'll find a schedule at uh, GemCitySports.com. You know, that's something that uh, I wasn't worried about until um, WSWO shared that, and you know, you talked about that too. 
because I thought, hey, fall sports, it means I can broadcast again. But then, oh yeah, I might not be able to. What's your thoughts on six games for a football schedule and everyone in Ohio that's still playing football gets in the playoffs? What's your take? Uh, that's 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 strange. I mean, I guess as long as there's football, it's okay. I mean, it's it's certainly better than the alternative, which is nothing. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, there's something for me. But uh, enough of that. Um, yeah. uh, My biggest just, concern, though, is that they just do the whole thing um, as safely as possible. I hope so, too. And I, I sincerely hope that everyone stays safe if you're working sports, if you're playing sports, if you're making the sports go, for those that are bringing the action along. We got to stay safe. We're all in this together. And wear your mask. Amen. I, I, you know, it took me a while to find the six games uh, for the Loveland Tigers. That's the team I covered in last year and what I expect to cover this season. I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it, it, it's mainly the most of the conference schedule getting shoved over from weeks three through eight to one to six. But at the same time, I'm still looking forward to it because I love going down to Cincinnati and I... I I actually like the road trip to Cincinnati, so I can, you know, calm myself down and not be a total spaz on air. But um, no, I, 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 I'm really looking forward to it, and I think there's a lot of great football to be had in Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. Well, I kind of get this. I sort of get the same feeling driving to, to soccer stadiums when I do um, soccer Saturdays over the last few seasons. It's just seeing stadiums that you don't really normally get a chance to see, and just seeing different atmospheres, different environments. It's and for some of the, um, as we talked about before, the um, soccer-specific stadiums for high schools in here, some of the small ones, they can be really nice. I mean, even some of the bigger stadiums can be nice as well. I mean, I love broadcasting a game at Loveland. I mean, on top of the press box, you just see nothing but woods, and you feel like you're just in this enchanted forest type of thing. But then you realize, like, uh, Mason Montgomery Road is just like a mile or so away, and that's one of the heaviest parts of northern Cincinnati uh, suburbs just because of all the shopping you can do up there and to Mason High School, of course. But, uh, yeah, I love I, – I like uh, broadcasting games at Loveland, and it's the only high school football uh, experience I know of that uses fireworks. Are you serious? Yeah, uh, we, it would have been week five last year. I go to cover my first Loveland home game. I think we were... Were we playing West Claremont? Yeah, it had to be West Claremont. Or was it Milford? It was one of the ECC teams. Anyway, uh, pregame, a couple minutes before kickoff, we're doing uh, pregame. And then I just hear these fireworks go off. Like, what was that? It's like, there's fireworks here. Like, really? (laughs) Why couldn't we have this at Valley View? That would have been great. Oh, man. Just scare Germantown half to death. Like, all these fireworks. (laughs) What's all that noise? It's football Friday. Get over it. (laughs) It's only 7 p.m. It's fireworks. But, uh, yeah, that was a first for me. Um, With Throw, their, uh, their stadium, it feels like... A very old piece of UC still in existence, Angus King Stadium. If you ever, if you ever get to come down Cincinnati and you're at with throw, yeah, you're in for a treat. But uh, you will have to throw your extension cord to about the second story of the school building behind it because there's not really a press box there. But it's still oh, nice. Lovely. But it's still a nice experience, and that was my first game at Loveland. Good deal. 
you know, uh, that was my first game with Loveland. We had Tigers and Tigers, so, you know, my first words could have been, I think the Tigers are going to win this game. <laughs> then, then I just would have looked down on myself like, I'm an idiot. But, <laughs> Brian... Sometimes that's, part of the, sometimes that's part of the joy of it all. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that there's a fall sports season for me, and I hope there's a fall sports season for you and Doug for GCSN. Is there anything else you'd like to plug, Brian? Nothing else. Like I just said, I'm at B-R-E-I-S-S-I-E on Twitter and, of course, GemCitySports.com, where myself and Doug do our various, um, cover our various sports all across the Gem City. And that will do it. This has been a two-hour stream. It's going to be a very long podcast episode to listen to, but I do want to thank you that have caught the live stream and that are catching the podcast episode right now. And, Brian, thank you for your time today. It's been a lot of fun talking uh, Dayton sports with you here on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. That will do it. That's episode 177 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Don't forget, the new home of this podcast is sindaypod.com, C-I-N-D-A-Y-P-O-D.com. And we'll talk to you again for episode 178. for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com spelled T-H-E-L-E-E-W-M-O-W-E-N.com then click on podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way to catch new episodes of this podcast, such as on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, the iHeartRadio app, Pandora, and many more platforms. Follow along on social media by liking the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and follow along on Twitter at SindayPod and the Lee W. Mowen. Feel free to send in future questions for Mowen's Mailbag on Twitter or Facebook. The closing theme was created with the Splash app, available for free on Google Play and the App Store. This is Lee W. Mowen signing off. Let's talk local Cincinnati and Dayton sports again on the next episode.